finally, a source of raw, real, and honest information on healthcare issues that matter most. Welcome to BS Free MD. From the latest medical information to how to stay sane as a doctor or a patient, no subject is taboo, no BS is allowed. Now, let's welcome your hosts, Doctors May and Tim Hindmarsh. All right, everybody. This episode is something we've been wanting to do for quite a while. This is something big um, and dear to our hearts. And of course, if you know us, not without us crossing the controversial line. So we're not afraid to dive into any topic. The timing was perfect for this. And you're going to love today's guest, Dr. Grossman, as we get into the transgender uh, discussion. Well, we are excited. Everyone buckle up. You're going to, uh, you might actually need the five heart, uh, five point harness today. We have Dr. Miriam Grossman with us. She's a psychiatrist who has been fighting the battle for the last 15 or 20 years with regards to what's going on in this, uh, bizarre world of sexual identity, transgenderism, gender identity, especially with regards to children. She's an adolescent and adult psychiatrist who has practiced for many years. She's in private practice, and uh, we're going to have her tell us a little bit about herself here in just a second, but we are extremely humbled and excited to have her here. She was recently on Matt Walsh's show, What is a Woman?, which uh, if you have not seen that, it's on the Daily Wire. It is worth the subscription. I watched it twice. And it's one of those experiences where you're not sure if you're supposed to laugh or cry, so you just do both. So welcome, Dr. Grossman. Thank you so much for joining us on BS Free MD. And if you could uh, give us a little history of, uh, of what you've done w- with your life and, and where you're going now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Tim. And thank you, May, uh, for that introduction. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, let's see. You want to know basically, I guess, how I got into the whole uh, fighting the uh, prevailing narrative of gender ideology. Um, I got into it via my interest in uh, sex education, uh, which I got into because I was working as a psychiatrist at UCLA. Uh, for the students that were there. And it came to my attention over the years that I was there that uh, these kids were having um, multiple uh, uh, reactions, uh, psychiatric symptoms like anxiety and depression that were uh, related or even a direct result of their sexual decisions, their decisions about their behavior and hooking up and getting STDs and getting exposed to HIV and getting pregnant and and so on and so forth. And so I started at that point looking into what, what these kids are actually taught and what the uh, student counseling center that I was working in at the time were uh, were teaching kids and what the health center was teaching kids. And I discovered that there's a lot of ideology uh, uh, that's being uh, presented uh, 
to young people uh, in the form of their health education. And instead of getting the accurate medical facts that would be protecting them, they were getting a different message. And what I mean by that is that um, I'll just give you one example. I know that you guys are doctors and a lot of your listeners, I'm assuming, are doctors, nurses and other medical professionals. For example, we have known for a long, long time, right, that the cervix of a young woman, a girl, is immature. We uh, have known uh, that uh, the cervix in a young girl is has an area called the transformation zone, and that is only one cell thick. And as she gets older, that zone gets smaller and smaller. But the younger she is, the larger that transformation zone. And that means that she is more vulnerable to infection. Her cervix is more vulnerable to infection with HPV, chlamydia, uh, you name it, all the different sexually transmitted infections, which therefore tells us that it is best to delay sexual behavior. And it also tells us that girls are more vulnerable than boys. That's just the biology of it. It's not ideology. It's not sexist. It's not anti-feminism. It is just medicine, gynecology, histology, whatever you want to call it. It's science. And I was very alarmed to see the number of young women that were coming through my office who were infected with a sexually transmitted uh, infection uh, and, and they needed treatment and it could possibly affect their future. Um, and when I spoke to them about this, they had no clue, no clue about the possible vulnerability uh, that they might may have compared to the guy that they're hooking up with. So that's just one, one example. There were many more. And I ended up writing a book called Unprotected, A Campus Psychiatrist Reveals How Political Correctness in Her Profession Endangers Every Student. I know, really long title. I didn't like it, but I didn't have a choice. Um, and every chapter of that book dealt with a different issue, um, such as what I just mentioned about the cervix. There's a, a chapter on abortion. There's a chapter about fertility. There's a chapter about, um, uh, about religious faith and, there, and abortion um, and, and just these various topics that I felt um, were were uh, misrepresented uh, to, to young people um, and, and, and misinforming them uh, regarding, regarding the information that they needed to have to stay healthy and to stay well. So just, I, I know I'm taking a long time in answering your question, but from that experience at the student health, uh, health uh, the student uh, counseling, mental health services, I then got into studying sex education. And among many other things, I discovered how young people were being taught about gender. And this was back in, uh, I wrote another book called You're Teaching My Child What? 
and that came out in 2009. And in that book, one of the things that I warned parents about was that kids were being told that um, that being male or female is is completely separate from biology. That um, identifying as a girl or a boy, a man or a woman, um, can be seen as something that is completely divorced from chromosomes and hormones and so on, um, which of course is not correct. So that's how I got into the whole gender ideology thing. I'm just, I'm surprised. I'm thinking back, you know, just from our experiences in family practice, urgent care, back in, wow, in 09, they were starting to teach us. I mean, now it's pretty mainstream and it has been for the last three, four years in, you know, even rural conservative America where we are. But, um, wow, I didn't think it was going back as far as 09. Oh, oh, 09 is. No, but 09 May, 09 is only when I wrote about it. It was going on much before that as well. So um, organizations like Planned Parenthood, the organization SECUS, which is uh, the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the U.S., and other prominent sex education uh, organizations uh, were pushing the gender ideology probably since even the, you know, the late uh, 1990s. So, you know, the gingerbread man, um, you know, this has been, well, first of all, you know, these ideas have been around for a long time. You probably heard of John Money and sort of came out of nowhere, but that is not correct. It didn't happen suddenly. It's just being noticed now. You mentioned John Money and that I think is really key to sort of where a lot of this came from. Can you, for our listeners, um, and I just say like probably we think about 50% of our listeners are sort of non-medical based. It's kind of an interesting mix we have. Let's go back to where this sort of all started to unravel in the theories behind um, this transgenderism um, with John Money. Can you explain to everybody sort of who he was and how that started? Yeah, yeah. Very, very important for people to understand this. Um, well, prior to John Money in the in the fifties, nineteen fifties, the word gender was a grammatical term. Okay, so it was used um, to describe um, words such as nouns, um, and you know, the, in certain not in English but in Spanish and French and other languages. Um, nouns uh, and, and other terms have uh, are masculine or feminine. You know, for example, in French, the word table, I think, is 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 feminine. And, you know, anyone that's taken Spanish and French in school knows what a pain in the neck it is to have to <laughs> be able to identify the gender oh, yeah. of words. <clears throat> so John Money came along and he took the, the word gender and he used it for the first time to apply to to humans. And he used it um, in such a way to uh, describe a person's inner experience of being male or female. And the reason that John Money was interested in this is he was a psychologist and he, um, he 
his area of expertise and interest was hermaphrodism, which we now call intersex. So a hermaphrodite, a, tr a true hermaphrodite is very, very unusual. It's someone that is born with, um, uh, with both male and female um, reproductive organs or, or portions, parts of both male and female reproductive organs. And often at birth, they will have ambiguous genitalia so that um, you know, when, when they're born, it's it's not completely clear. The penis may be very, very small or the clitoris may be very prominent. And it's not clear um, if this is a uh, biological male or female. And that's where the term that is so misused right now, the term assigned at birth, assigned sex at birth, which is now it's been, you know, co-opted by the um, gender activists and it's applied to everybody. Well, that is not correct. That is a term that was um, originally used in reference to these uh, kids who, uh, who, who it was just, it was not clear at birth uh, if they were male or female. Very, it's very rare um, that this should occur. And so the uh, John Money specialized in um, in, in the in the, the the care the treatment of these kids and their families, and he would, along with his team at uh, Johns Hopkins, um, he he would advise people parents on you know what their options were and what they should do and how they should raise the child and so on and so forth and. He came up with um, his famous gender theory, and this was really his life's work. His life's work was to promote his idea that we are all born gender neutral, that we're like a blank slate, and that uh, you know a newborn child could just as easily uh, be raised as a male or a female. Um, that it was all due to in, it was you know the nature nurture debate. So so in his opinion, it was all about nurture and not at all about nature. So it didn't matter chromosomes, hormones, you know, um, prenatal environment, um, and so on. He said it was nurture. It was all about how um, you know whether the kid is put in you know to a, a pink or a blue blanket and what the expectations are from the parents in terms of whether this is a boy or a girl, what toys they're going to give the child, what messages the kid is going to get from the family, from school, from relatives, from church about what it means to be male or masculine or male or female. So John Money felt very strongly that it was all about nurture, it was all about environment. Um, now, I'm just going to add something that's very important here in the story, and that is that John Money himself seems to have struggled with his own gender. And what I mean by that is that um, John Money was raised on a farm um, outside of uh, Auckland, New, New Zealand, and he was raised by a uh, tyrannical uh, uh alcoholic, uh, violent father. And his father used to beat uh, John's mother, as well as John. And uh, uh, 
it, it, it sounds like he had a very horrific upbringing because of that, his father, and that his father was his only role model. Otherwise, he was surrounded by women. And later in his life, when he had already grown up, he, he wrote about that. And he said that he, uh, that he struggled with, uh, he said that he, he, he bore the mark of man's vile sexuality. I'm quoting here. I don't know if I'm getting every single word correct. I think I am. He wrote that he bore the mark of man's vile sexuality. Um, and that he wondered if the world might not be a better place if not only the theory that postulated that it doesn't matter what genitalia you have, it doesn't matter what your chromosomes are, um, your, your environment can make you into a different kind of person. So, uh, yes, so basically that John Money uh, was his his male the male model in his life as a as a boy uh was an extremely uh negative figure and this was his uh role model for masculinity and according to you know his his later writings um we see that uh he most likely suffered from what we would now today call called gender dysphoria. <clears throat> and that when we look at that and we consider that, it makes sense that he would come up with gender theory, which stated that, that even if you have certain cr chromosomes and you have, um, you know, certain, the, the genitalia that go along with the, those chromosomes, it doesn't necessarily mean one thing or the other about being male or female or masculine or feminine. Okay, I and have I have a couple questions with that. First of all, <clears throat> I think that there's something more powerful than randomized controlled uh, trials. I think it's called common sense. So when you have obviously different chromosomes, obviously different genitalia, obviously different body shape and muscle mass and all of these things, and you can take chromosomes from virtually every cell in your body and say that that's a male or a female cell. Why would people buy into something that's so obviously counterintuitive to what you see genetically? Like, that's what I don't understand. Like, what was the appeal? Like, I understand, though I personally don't agree with it, I understand the appeal to abortion. I want to be a woman who can have sex with whoever she wants and be on par with men where I never have to raise a child. Okay? I get that. That, that, that seems like a fairly obvious motivation but like in the scientific community why would people want to buy into this idea that that goes against like everything that's that's obviously demonstrably real that you can test okay so tim of course that's a great question but let's just go back here we have to go back to the 50s and 60s and 70s when gender theory was um you know, introduced by John Money and promoted um, throughout the scientific community. Now, at that time, you know, this was before the biotech revolution. We, at that time, there was the belief that the Y chromosome is essentially empty. The Y chromosome was considered a genetic wasteland. 
at that time. We know much better now. We know that the Y chromosome is filled with, uh, with genetic information. <clears throat> but back at the time of John Money, uh, and for, for quite a few years after John Money, it really, you could, it was a feasible argument um, that, that nurture was much more important than nature. And there was a, you know, it, at that time, it was a huge debate. Feminism was also uh, involved with, with, with promoting the idea that it was all about nurture and not about nature because early feminists really believed that, um, that, that, that women have less opportunities uh, when, when, we, when we talk about the differences between male and female being fixed and being genetic and being um, you know, hormonal, et cetera. So, so, so I want you just to consider that the science, it was a different scientific world at that time. Now, not everyone accepted John Money, just like not everyone accepted Kinsey. There were people that spoke out against it, for sure. But um, John Money was a very strong voice. And he, uh, you know, he really was able to disseminate his ideas widely. He was writing a lot. He was speaking. He was lecturing. He was picked up by the um, non, you know, the non-medical, just the regular uh, media outlets, and his message came out, and and people believed it, and people followed it for decades until it was exposed as being a hoax. So I guess I, I you didn't get any of of what I had said about the Reamer twins. No, that's no. that's yeah. the next. That I was, was the say, next question. He did he did an experiment that was failed massively, which was that. Yeah. Okay. So you had asked me how the scientific community could have accepted this. And one big reason why it was accepted is because there was, uh, uh, John Money, uh, uh, was, uh, uh, he, he was contacted by a family, um, that would end up being the answer to his prayers, so to speak, because, uh, until this family, the Reamer family, contacted him, he was unable to definitively prove his gender theory. That would be extremely difficult. How do you actually, you know, how do you take two kids that have the same genetic endowment that, you know, you would have to do this, the same uh, nature, the same nurture, you would need identical twins raised in the same family. Um, and lo and behold, that's 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 the family that ended up on John Money's doorstep, and uh, what happened is that this fa the Reamer family in Canada they gave birth to twin boys. The boys were absolutely fine. They went to have uh, circumcision when they were eight months old. Something went wrong with the equipment. Um, the first twin that was uh, having his circumcision was Bruce. Um, his penis was burnt off. It was literally burnt off. His parents, uh, as you can imagine, were in shock, didn't know what they were going to do. They took him home. The other twin didn't have the, cir the circumcision. So they had identical twins, one who was, uh, you know, un un untouched in terms of his, uh, you know, physically 
fine. And the other, uh, his penis had been burnt off in this horrific medical accident. And they didn't know what they were going to do. One day they uh, heard John Money on television talking about gender theory. And John Money announced that a boy could be raised as a girl. Uh, And uh, they immediately thought that this is the answer to their prayers. They went down to see John Money in Baltimore and uh, they took his advice. John Money immediately told them um, to, to change Bruce's name, to give him a girl's name, to um, dress him in frilly dresses and pink dresses and give him only girl toys. Now, this is the 60s, mind you. So, you know, we have all the um, uh, gender stereotypes going on. And uh, that's what they agreed to do. And they took the twins home. They changed Bruce's name to Brenda. They began to only refer to him as a girl, female pronouns, female, you know, little girls' clothing, dolls, et cetera, et cetera. And um, uh, he also had to, uh, John Money told them to uh, have him castrated, to, to have um, his testicles removed. And he explained to the Reamers that as uh, Brenda grows up, he will at some point need to be placed on estrogen uh, to go through uh, female puberty. And he reassured them that everything would be fine. He told the Reamers that they must never, ever tell Brenda or Bruce what had happened. He, they must never tell, uh, tell this child that he was born as a male. Now they agreed, and I just want to highlight here that this was a blue-collar family. Um, you know that, that the parents had not gone beyond high school in their education. Um, they went down to a big, prominent university, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins. They met with a, uh, you know, the quintessential, sophisticated, well-spoken, famous professor, John Money. So of course they're going to listen to what he had to say. And of course, they were going to trust him. Well, that ended up being probably the biggest mistake they ever made, aside from getting the circumcision, um, because they ended up trying to raise Bruce uh, Bruce as a girl, as Brenda. And they would return every year to see John Money. Um, and report back to him how things were going. And then John Money uh, had an ongoing, uh, uh, you know, uh, report that, or, or articles that he would um, report back to the scientific community on how this experiment was going. And he consistently reported that the twins were doing great and that so-called Brenda, I'm going to call her Brenda just for convenience, um, was doing fine as a girl, that she was adjusting, that she had feminine behaviors, that all her friends considered her another, a girl just like them, that she was doing fine at school and at home. The thing is that nothing could be further from the truth. Um, From an early age, and we know this, let me just give a plug here for this very, very important book, The author is John Colapinto. The name of the book is As Nature Made Him. 
The Boy That Was Raised as a Girl. Very, very important book. Your listeners should get it and read it. So basically, as the years went by, um, Brenda was not at all happy as a girl. She was preferred to play with her brother's trucks and 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 other so-called boy toys. She didn't like wearing dresses. She would tear the dresses off. She um, liked to do all the boyish kind of things. She liked to get dirty and get rough and she was very domineering. Even compared to her brother, she was more of the domineering twin, aggressive. Um, people, her friends, her, the other, she had a lot of troublemaking friends. The kids made fun of her. She was very masculine in the way that she talked and her gestures, the way that she walked. She preferred to, to urinate standing up. She would try to urinate standing up. She said that she wanted to be a um, a garbage, a sanitation worker when she grew up. I mean, it's it's almost, you know, it, there were just many, many indications that this child. I'm sorry. No, no, we're dad. good. That's okay. Yeah. Let, let, let me just, if I can, just ask a question on that. So all of these masculine, you know, these quote masculine behaviors, I want to be a garbage man. I'm aggressive, et cetera. That all that was all pre-puberty in a child that had absolutely no idea that they were, they were phenotypically male. That is correct. This was, I'm sorry. This was all pre-puberty. That's correct. Pre-puberty and without knowing, well, at least consciously, I mean, I guess if you're very Freudian, you, you might say that, you know, that on some level there was this memory, but let, let's put that aside. Okay, so on a conscious level, um, this child did not know that he was born male, that he had XY chromosomes and, and, and that whole, no, he did not know that, correct. So sadly, the story has a, has a sad ending. Um, why don't you just you know, let us know what happened to Brenda? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So to put it just very briefly, because we have limited time, what happened is that Brenda really, really struggled in many ways, um, socially, you know, with friends within the family. And uh, her parents ended up taking her to a therapist. Um, uh, Brenda, when, when Brenda uh, started puberty or got close to puberty, um, uh, he realized that he was attracted to other girls. And this kind of, I think that was the thing that really put him over the edge and he became suicidal. Um, now, just so that you know, during those yearly trips down to John Money, um, John Money was uh, uh, sexually abusive toward these twins. And there were all sort of um, very disturbing, immoral things that were going on in his office that the parents were not aware of. He would take the twins into his office and force them to take their clothing off and to get into different um, sexual positions. Um, and it came to the point where um, th the twins were refusing to go down and see him anymore. Um, so, so this is basically it. So Brenda is uh, moving into puberty. Um, 
he's placed on estrogen um, and he's suicidal. And the psychologist, um, the local psychologist or psychiatrist that's seeing him tells the parents that they must explain to him his history and they must tell him what happened as a child. And so they do this and it's a, it's very moving. You can see, you can see the parents talking about this on YouTube. There's movies on YouTube about this in which in a, the parents explain what it was like. And basically what happened is that Brenda slash um, Bruce states that when he heard the truth, he was incredibly relieved. He was so relieved that he wasn't crazy because he was clearly for many, many, many years, he was struggling and he did not feel like a girl. And he thought that he was, he thought there, there was just something so wrong with him. Um, and so he was extremely relieved to hear this. He immediately wanted to live as a boy. He immediately wanted to, he changed his name. He didn't change it to back to Bruce. Very interesting. He, cha- he picked the name David. And the reason he picked the name David is that he said all his life he felt like he was David fighting Goliath. And Goliath would have been John Money and his theory that, that male and femaleness is completely separate from biology. So, so David was fighting his biology and that was like fighting Goliath. And that is such an important message right now to be heard. Um, so essentially the long and short of it is that it sounds like it could have ended up okay, but it, it, it really did not end well. And many years after that, um, the, 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 the brother, um, Brian, he died of a drug overdose. And a few years later, David himself, even though he had married, he had adopted some children, his wife's children, he had found work, but in the end, um, he, he committed suicide. So this is the story of a family that was destroyed by a well, deviant i mean clearly he's abusing well twins yeah as, i mean they kind of as, the synopsis of this is you know it's a junk science because it's just a weird theory that he kind of pulled out of the sky and he's clearly a like a a, a pedophile i mean like that you know so so you have a yeah. you have it but but it, and again this is a very powerful message when you have something that kind of sounds sciency but it's promoted by somebody who obviously is very charismatic and writes prolifically and is articulate and then gets picked up by the the you know the media of the day it's unbelievable how powerful well how much momentum it gets and, and then it's, and, and, uh, and it lasts for years like, like it just it's, so we start with this which starts in junk science with a sexual deviant and and now even in our rural area in, you know, conservative rural Oregon, we have seventh and eighth grade kids that get upset when one of the nurses goes and asks them to fill out a form for a 
you know, a class and that there's only male and female as the two genders that they can Correct. pick from. So well, let's, uh, I, I want to just, oh, go ahead. <laughs> go okay. ahead. This, this whole story that I told you that, that, that his experiment with the twins was a hoax did not come out for decades. Okay. And, and it finally came out in the 1990s because there was a, another psychologist, Milton Diamond, who, who dug into this and he discovered the truth about what happened to the twins. And then, and then it became the, the book, the book um, that I mentioned, the, um, As Nature Made Him, that revealed this entire fiasco only came out in 1999. So in all these intervening years, these ideas, the, 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 this false notion of John, John Money's gender theory was institutionalized within a whole field of medicine and a field of psychology, you know, sociology, education. And so it was able to just become um, the dogma. Right. So I like to play devil's advocate. Uh a lot when we talk about things. But the first thing I'm thinking is, even with this flawed, you know, way of thinking and this theory that he's trying to prove, can now, you know, where we're at, people be thinking, okay, so he, here we have this child that is got XY chromosomes, and he's raised as a girl, right from birth, but inside he feels like it's not right and he's male. I mean, therefore, he knows intuitively that he does he d- doesn't feel like a girl and he should be able to choose maleness. So even though it's founded on, you know, chromosomes, are people now sort of using that part of it as a reason to substantiate the fact that kids should be able to choose whatever they feel their gender is. Does that make sense? So it's like Brenda um, felt like a boy, even though he was raised as a girl. Therefore, the kid next door, if they feel like they're a boy, even though they're born a girl or raised a girl, they should be able to choose because that is where they're brain is going and their mental health is going like I know what I feel inside is the right answer but is that what is that what the community what psychology the people that support transgenderism are using that as the basis is whatever a kid feel I mean it just seems like fairyland but it's like if the kid feels that way then therefore and this is pre-puberty mind you therefore it should be whatever they feel as what their gender is well the thing is though that you see since John Money's theory was developed, it's gone through many, many iterations. And it's actually, you know, it's not the same. It's been kind of turned into something very, very different. You know, it's the reason why I bring up John Money when it comes to gender is because he, he coined that term in a way um, that would apply to people. And he came up with this idea that biology and the way that we see ourselves, the way that we identify are two different things. So, but, but, you know, through the decades since all this happened, there's been many iterations and the way where we stand now 
it's almost, you know, I think that if John Money was around, um, I, I don't know what he'd say at this point, because, you know, even even John Money argued that um, that 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 gender identity is fixed by age three. And, you know, that's why he was telling the Reamer family that they have to hurry up because the twins were like one and a half or two years old. And they were saying and he was saying, look, if you don't if you don't start raising this child as a girl um, by the age of three, it's going to be fixed um, his his identity as a boy. So I don't know what John Money would have said about 15 and 20 year old um, people who like within a week or a month or six months, um, you know, decide that 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 they're going to identify as the opposite sex. Do you do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Right. It's, it's right. Where we're at now, I mean, is a whole different ballgame than kids who are four deciding that they're a, a different sex, which right, but, I would like to get into that. I mean, as far as true, how what what is the numbers, do you know, on like kids that are pre-pubertal? truly identifying as the opposite sex of their genetic chromosomal DNA, that's pretty small, correct? Like I, I read that it's usually males and it's usually like a, this minute percentage of the population across the world. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, what we used to call gender identity disorder. And it's been known to the medical profession for a long, long time, even though it's extremely rare. Um, you know, I, I remember hearing about it, I guess, as a child, doing my child psychiatry rotation. Um, but none of us thought we would ever see anybody. It was like a textbook thing that, that you know, rarely, and I'm, um, you asked for the absolute, yes, it was, it was, uh, let's see, it, it occurs, it would occur in, um, the sex ratio was, six boys to every girl. So much, much more common in boys. But even among boys, it was something like, I think, one in 30,000. Um, I mean, it was rare. Right. It was a rare, rare condition. Right. So, and, so, and so that's what, look at, I guess I'm thinking in my head, you know, it kind of dates us, but we were in medical school in the 80s, late 80s, 90s. And, you know, we heard about that, too, through our training. It was one of these super rare phenomenon that happened. But uh, fast forward to, you know, doing all of our education, family practice. I had seen up until, I don't know, 2010, 2011, two people ever, both were males that transitioned to female, didn't really even know it until this patient comes in for a pap smear. And I'm like, this makes no sense. It's, you know, John Doe. And why is John coming in for a pap smear? You know, and then the first time, first patient I had like that was like, wow, okay. The, John used to be female, still has a cervix, is proactive about his health. I mean, he didn't have um, surgery, but it was like a big eye-opening thing. And so I've had two, I had two patients like that, that I'd ever had encountered, seen, even though we had uh, learned about it at school, I don't think Tim had come across any at that point. Then, like, all of a sudden, the needle tips slightly to the right, and we can't go to school, to work a, a week, uh, 
and you're continually bombarded now with having to struggle what pronouns to use for people, people that aren't sure if they're, that are bi and questioning and transition. And now it is like an everyday phenomenon. So as a person, even outside of science and as a doctor, I'm like, what the heck is going on where this was a rare phenomenon that was, you know, something that could be written up to now you turn your head every which way and direction. And it's like catching it yeah, has and, to, and it uh, magically to is me, young that is young not... women who are magically they them when it was six to one ratio in sort of traditional gender dysphoria and now it's it's like it's all teenage women it's you know it's the anorexia of of 2020 okay so so let me explain so um those little kids who uh either say that they wish very much that they were the opposite sex or that they are the opposite sex, that is a very different group than the kids we're looking at now who are either, you know, just going into puberty or they're already in puberty. Um, This is a very different demographic. So we do have um, studies on those younger kids because they've been around a long time. And we have studies, for for example, out of um, Toronto, Dr. Zucker's group, and we have studies from, um, from, from the Dutch, um, you know, who were looking at these kids. And we know that these are the young kids, okay? The, the kids who present when they're four or six years old or even, even younger than that, who have consistent, persistent um, beliefs um, and and insisting that they either are the other sex or they want to be the other sex. So we know that those kids, um, if if they are permitted to go through regular puberty without affirming them as the opposite sex, we know that the vast majority are going to accept their bodies and get comfortable with their bodies and no longer wish to be the opposite sex. And those numbers are very high depending on the study. They're like 68 to 98% or something of these kids. Um, but, but those are kids that are not socially affirmed. Um, and those are kids also that have been studied um, who, who, whose emotional issues and the the problems that that may be occurring within the family are attended to and are treated. Um, so we know that those kids don't in general trend. There are some, there are some that end up transitioning, but the mass majority do not and have no need for that. Now, the problem is that the statistics um, that, that, you see, we don't yet have good research on this current cohort of kids um, that, you know, it's, it's, it, we have on our hands a psychic epidemic, okay? It's not the first one, it's not the last one. And as you mentioned, Tim, about anorexia and, you know, the, um, there's there's been other psychic ep- epidemics in the past that have been written about. And so now we have this psychic epidemic in which um, kids are hearing about transgenderism and they're latching onto it as a way to express their distress. R- 
Right. And, you know, May and I have had this discussion, which is, you know, if you're, you know, going through puberty, you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, depending on your sex, because, you know, men tend to mature later. Right, May? So, um, <laughs> or not at all. Or not at all. <laughs> and so, you know, it, the thing that's, that's fascinating about this is it's like, well, do you, do you feel like you're in the wrong body? Well, yeah, because I went to school, I'm 12 years old, I'm still a child, and all of a sudden I started bleeding from my uterus. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the wrong body. Or, you know, I'm a 14-year-old male who just is, you know, happily walking through gym class in his ugly shorts that everyone has to wear, and, like, spontaneously you you are all of a sudden, you know, a massive tent pole trying to hide yourself from everybody else. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact is, is that part of life is a transitionary period and it's horrible and it's horrible for everybody, you know? And then you add to the fact that now you're supposed to compare yourself to, you know, an Instagram model and all, and, and you don't have real relationships. You have, you know, online relationships add to that, what we did in COVID with, you know, shutting schools and, no sports and all. And you go, well, no wonder people are screwed up. I mean, you ask anybody at that age, are you in the wrong body? It's like, yeah, I don't know what my body's doing. It just does all this random stuff and it drives me nuts. You know? Well, that's, uh, of course, of course. And, and you have to understand that when you, on top of all that normal angst, teenage angst, when you put it on top of pre-existing, uh, you know, comorbid, uh, psychiatric conditions like um, anxiety, depression, uh, autism, and, and any number of other things, you know, family issues, and so on. Um, of course, you have a perfect, uh, a perfect breeding ground for, for the spread of this psychic epidemic. And I'm going to also mention that when kids are told from a very young age, and we have books now for really little kids, um, telling them that it's possible to be born in the wrong body, as Jazz Jennings would say in her book, um, I was, you know, I, I, I had a girl's brain in a boy's body, and and that book is read to little kids. Then, then yeah, I mean, you know, they're just exposed to this over and over and over again, and now um, they're seeing, you know, drag those performances in public libraries with um, with drag queens and it's all being celebrated and isn't this great and isn't this beautiful. So a child who feels insecure and a child that feels um, anxious about themselves socially and doesn't have friends and isn't accepted, well, of course, coming out as transgender uh, and that's celebrated and that's like, you know, oh, you're so brave and you're so wonderful and we support you. Well, of course, that's a part of all this. So, so I know we're, we're running low on time. The, the part that still just baffles me, as I said before, you know, about, you know, abortion and where there's, there's kind of a logical motivation to, to, um, you know, want to be able to have access to abortions. What, I don't understand. And, and maybe it's just too big of a question because no one really knows, but like, who gains power? Who gains influence? Like, what's the motivation for this? Like, do you have any idea? Because, like, I just don't get it. Like, confusing children doesn't seem like a really good plan for a stable society. And, you know, one of my own theories is, I, I wonder if, if 
we just want, you know, we just want to emasculate the society because yeah, there are toxic males like John Money's father, but what we really need is strong men, men that, that are willing to do violence on the side of righteousness, but it's, but at the same time are kind and, and can, and can be truly meek and bridle their, you know, aggression. And it's like that, it's like, you know, since the last 60 years, we're just trying to drive this sort of, you know, masculine, real men, real fathers out of our society. And I'm like, that's a, that's a bad, bad idea. (laughs) Well, there's no, there's no, there's no question, Tim, that this is extremely destructive not only to the children and their families, but to all of us, of all of society. And like you said, uh, it's very important to have a strong identity. And when we, uh, when we present these ideas to children and we encourage them um, to question something that's at the core of being human, which is male and female, when we are encouraging them to question that, um, it is terribly destabilizing to them, to their families, to their communities, and to society as a whole. Now you're asking, why is this being done? Of course, we can point to to one part of this, which is the money. Um, And I don't mean John money. I mean, okay. Well, when these, you know, when kids are medicalized, then they're going to be living another, what, 50, 60, 70 years as patients. They're patients. They are medicalized. They're going to need their hormones every day for the rest of their lives. And many of them are going to have surgeries. And many of these surgeries, as you know, are high risk and they require other surgeries because because they, they don't get it right the first time and it's very complicated um, a lot of the detransitioners are speaking up and talking about how they their health has just been destroyed by all this. So, you know, sad to say there is a ton of money that's being made off of these kids. Now, if you want to take it even bigger than that and ask, you know, what who profits from 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 all this confusion and this kind of redefinition of what it means to be human. Um, You know, you may want to get someone else on the show to talk about that, but um, there are people, powerful people, wealthy people that believe in something called transhumanism. And they believe that this is the direction that humanity has to go toward. And transgenderism is part of that. I just, you know, Tim always is questioning the why and what's the motivation behind it. I just, you know, when I, I first read Abigail Shire, said I say her name right, book, Irreversible Damage, Last Fall, I I had so many emotions, you know, because uh, I just felt pain and sadness and uh, just hurt for these these kids and these adolescents, kids in college going through this if anything else. Um, and it threw me back to my own struggles as a teenager because I was a severe anorexic and then bulimic. And I just felt like it was written about me, but in a new time. 
like we talked about it going through struggles as a as a teenager it's a difficult time um you know there's various traumas that we all have that can impact things and i just saw this as the new i guess i would say like tim said the new social thing that's replaced anorexia it's it's like you're trying to control things you're trying to fit in you're trying to figure yourself out and these kids are so confused and i thought you know then i get also very angry at our medical community because you know there's so many thoughts like i think back to what we did to people with mental illness with lobotomy you know thinking that was going to cure them by cutting out this healthy part of the brain we thought it was a cure i thought you know i'm thinking or what? jump or jump starting them with a you know 18 volt battery like right. that was a great idea let's do but that. if someone had have done to me what i clearly had a true i clearly felt i was in the wrong body i would stare in the mirror and you know the phys- you know, the changes that happen in the brain when you deprive yourself of nutrition and with the mental health changes that occur with eating disorders, I would look in the mirror, I would weigh myself, I saw something different and that was my reality. But if someone had come along and offered me a gastric bypass or enabled me, giving me dieting drugs, et cetera, to continue on what I thought was my reality, uh, you know, would have ended would have killed tragically. You. And we see that as being wrong, but yet what's happening with this developing brain and kids who are confused and questioning and suddenly their friend is is now maybe transgender so oh maybe i am and all of a sudden it becomes like a social norm and the fact that physicians and healthcare providers just go along with this and say oh yeah that's what you believe i'll support that and whatever you need is just makes me furious and hurts for these people Well, I, I do want you to be aware, and, and you might already, but um, I've been flooded with emails um, since I since my appearance in Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Um, I've been getting lots of emails from mental health practitioners, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors saying, you know, you know, thank you for speaking the truth. I agree with you, but I'm all alone here. And uh, uh, I want to be connected with other people that think the same way. And so I've been able to help them out and put together sort of a group of them to support each other. I think that they're, you know, we're, we're I, 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 look, I agree with you, May. Um, there's been a, a, a capture of our profession. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lack of courage, to put it mildly. Um, there's a lot of, fear and spinelessness that that really is is very upsetting um but i i want to add to what you said when you spoke about the kids and the and and the 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 kids and the teenagers um i want to just add i really want you to be aware that the parents the parents of these kids who by and large are devoted loving responsible parents um who who are who 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 are just vilified by um, you know by the mental health uh, community by the educational community they they end up fighting with with um, with everybody with, with the counselors the teachers the doctors the gender therapist um, and and they feel extremely uh, isolated and abandoned um because they have been and 
I, I want everyone to be aware that the, the pain and suffering of this um, transgender movement or ideology or psychic epidemic, whatever we're going to call it, um, it, it's creating victims of the parents, the grandparents, the siblings as well. So it's much, much bigger than just the kids. Sometimes the parents are, need more therapy than the kids do. No, I, I, you're absolutely right. And it's horrifying when you, you know, I, I can't remember where I saw it on, but the, that one father from Canada that was put in jail for speaking up against letting his daughter ha have this uh, tr to transition and go through surgery and is actually put in jail. Yeah, because he missed, he, he misgendered. Yeah, he, he, he wouldn't use her, the male pronouns with her. No, it's it. It's stunning, but I heard something yesterday. I ran into somebody that I was talking to who was a nice community member. And uh, in the town next to us, again, you know, this is Logger Central, not exactly uh, the, um, not exactly a dearth of toxic masculinity. So, if you know, using the traditional uh, terms. And uh, there's a couple kids at the local high school that have um, been identifying as furries and they ha uh, put a litter box in the bathroom for these kids. And, and I'm like, how does that happen? Like, how is that even possible? And it it's like, well, we don't know that they use the litter box, but they demanded that we put it in. And since this is their identity, we have to affirm that. And I'm like, they're, they're dressed up in panda costumes like that. That's either psychopathy I mean, or they're just pranking it's, you. It's, there's you, only two choices. You just want to laugh, but the thing is, I don't understand. How does society, how do people that are in charge, how do we like, how do they go along with this and it's like seriously think this is okay? I mean, when does it end? I mean, then when does my reality and your reality, I mean, versus truth ever end? And well, I want to identify as 13 years older so I can get my maximum social security <laughs> right now. And and then and and Medicare. And then I can just retire a little bit earlier well, and not have to worry about working. Cause I actually there's days when I wake up where I'm sure I feel like a 70 year old. So why can't I just identify as one then? Well, look, um, from where I'm sitting. Um, the bodies, the body count is very high and it's increasing as we speak. So I think there's going to be a certain number of casualties of all this. Um, and it will be too big to be brushed under the carpet and ignored. Uh, that is what I'm hoping. I, I just hope it'll happen sooner than later. You you mentioned uh, you know people finally starting to s stand up, speak out, parents and some medical pro professionals that that have been afraid to. I mean, is there any kind of organizations, websites that you can think of, or groups that are starting to form to um, stand up against this, or is it kind of more on an yeah? Oh, sure. Yeah, of course, there's there's quite a few now. Um, so you have an excellent organization called um, SEGM. It stands for um, Society for Evidence. 
uh, SEGM, Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, S-E-G-M, um, that very excellent uh, group of medical people, uh, not political whatsoever, just bringing uh, the real information about studies, about um, research that's going on, uh, reports from other countries such as Sweden, the UK, uh, Finland, France, uh, where the medical, uh, you know, where there's been um, uh, announcements and a change of policy to uh, restrict the, the access uh, to medicalization because we, we, we just don't, we don't even know what, whether it really helps people or not. So one site is SEGM, S-E-G-M dot com or org, I'm not sure, uh, which, you know, YouTube is just full of tons and tons of uh, detransitioners and, and, and Twitter as well, social media telling their stories, some of them using their names, some of them not. Uh, you know, I just want to leave listeners, whether they're medical or not, and feeling isolated, alone, afraid to speak up, or parents listening to this or f whoever, that they're not because so many people feel so isolated and alone and afraid to speak up for all the ramifications being pegged um, or even um, losing employment over things like this or, um, you know, whatever it may be. I want people to have some hope and a place to go where they can get some good information. Um, also, I encourage people to read Irreversible Damage, but oh tell us gosh. about your website as well and your, where you, we can find you and your books too. Okay. Um, my website is miriamgrossmanmd.com. Uh, I have there lots of articles that I've written recently, videos that I've made, lectures that I've given. Um, so that's miriamgrossmanmd.com. Uh, I can be, please follow me on Twitter, which is uh, Miriam uh, under, underscore Grossman. And I'm also on Facebook. Uh, which is just Miriam Grossman, MD. I do want to encourage people that uh, to get educated and to learn as much as they they can, because the science is is on our side, and the other side has ideology, and the other side has activism and loud, um, aggressive voices. And they uh, act as if there's a consensus and they act as if like Dr. Marcy Bowers in the documentary, in Matt Walsh's documentary, he was, the, uh, Dr. Bowers was asked if there are people that disagree uh, with the prevailing narrative. And Dr. Bowers said, you know, oh, if there's a few dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. I know. And I saw that because I'm like, this doctor must live in a one block bubble, uh, uh, like shop for their groceries there, do all their work well, there. She's in San Francisco. <laughs> I, I, I mean, was like, who is this? That's, 
I mean, it was it, almost it's a laughable. bubble. It, San Francisco, it's now a bubble of human feces. So, you know, whatever. I just want your listeners to know that there is no consensus, that there is a, a debate in the medical, psychiatric, mental health community that is going on right now. Um, Florida has just uh, announced that Medicaid will no longer pay for medical transition, hormones, and surgery because it is uh, experimental. Uh, uh, and this is exactly what Sweden, this is what Sweden has also said. Sweden is the most GLBT friendly wow. country on the face of the earth. Well, that was truly a, a mind blower. Um, I, you know, we both feel that we just barely scratched the surface. Like I know. There, there's so much, I, there's so much kind of community crazy that's going on with this, that it is just like, it is like jumping into a cool river on a boiling hot day to listen to somebody that actually has seen patients for decades, understands what's going on and is still willing to fight. And I think, I think that's a big thing, man, the, the no courage. And we've been kind of trying to confront that in our own, you know, dopey BS free way for the last year, which is, you know, doctors like nut up, get some courage. Cause this is just, well, this is ridiculous. In, man. in true science form, there should be a discussion of things on both sides. No side should be silenced. And especially with this transgender issue going on where I see like most of it being pushed by the, um, non, I would say not non-health community, but I'm like, where, where's the other side? Where's the other side in this debate, this discussion? Um, but, but whatever happened to just discussions? Like I remember when we were in medical school and we're in Canada and you see this like insanity in Canada where this guy misgenders his kid and gets thrown in jail for it. Okay. Well, when we were in medical school, they, they would just have speakers speak about abortion. And they'd come out there and they'd have a pro-abortion guy. And then, you know, somebody in the audience was was very pro-life and would start, you know, they, they'd almost be screaming at each other. And I'm like, Gee, that's actually to, that super healthy. Debate club yeah, I mean, school. it's like it's like super healthy. And, you know, we, we they, they'd talk about any kind of controversial stuff. And there'd be people, I mean, th my favorite was the psychiatrists would come out and they'd do grand rounds and they would start presenting a, a really complex case. And they, they would, it would, it would end like not in fisticuffs, but like verbal fisticuffs, like, but no, you know, that person is multiple personality. No, they're this, no, they're that. And I'm like, that's, that's, that that's healthy. That's what's supposed yeah, no, to happen. Nobody was silenced, uh, discommunicated or excommunicated or, um, lost their job, lost their job, shut down, put in jail or canceled all their social media. I mean, it's crazy. And they weren't labeled as uh, phobic of whatever you, well, they're arguing. Yeah, against. I mean, they might have been labeled as like a not like, you know, that guy's kind of a socialist pig or that guy's a religious zealot or whatever, like in in cocktail parties. But it was like, you know, you still work anyway. with them. You still sent each other patients. You still understood that you had opposing opposing views on some big issues, but that you could still understand that the person was clinically competent. Like, I, I just like it, it just it. it and, and, and like, like I, again, I just don't get it. I, I, you know, we talked about this this morning and it, and it's like, I think what courage is, is you got to be willing to let people call you names. Mm -hmm. Like you got, you stand up to this and it's like, you're a transphobe. Okay. I don't even know what that is. So I don't care. Cause I don't, 
I don't fear trans people. So, no, I fear, and I don't I fear, fear you calling me something. I, I, somebody. Fear, I fear the people pushing the agenda more than I fear. Oh no, I have. Else. If you have anything but I'm compassion for these for these families something. and these children, you are a monster. Exactly. You know, if it, like I cannot imagine. I mean, you've been you you've had a body dysmorphia, okay? Um, and and you know, we have obviously discussed this in detail privately and publicly on the podcast. So you understand the personal pain and where, you know, the trauma that can lead to those kind of psychic phenomenon. All right. But here's the deal. If you hate your body so much that you literally want to cut your genitals off, those people deserve nothing from us other than compassion. Period. Absolutely. Okay. And I don't fear them. Okay, I fear these people that somehow have politicized and made this into some sort of power agenda. And and again, you're 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 teaching vulnerable children that they, they you know they might be in the wrong body, they might be this, they might be that, and like sowing all this doubt and sowing all this like like it's like it's crazy. Like what would happen if you went into what would happen if you went into a elementary school and instead of saying that maybe you're born in the wrong body. You just went in and you, you took a very, very uh, fundamentalist approach to evangelism. And every kid got, uh, you know, the, the, the tracks that we got back in the 70s of burning in hell. And so, uh, little Johnny, you're born into sin. And unless you say what I say you need to say, you're burning in hell. Like, how long would that last in school before, like, everyone lost their minds and said, you know, you can believe that, but this is not age appropriate for five-year-olds. And, you know, maybe you need to dial back the rhetoric and have Bible class, not during class. Well, well we've gone like that would from, happen in two seconds. Not, a, not age appropriate to everything's age appropriate. It's right. Just a, and, and then, and it's this, it's this ongoing sexualization of children, which just is, 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 it's not offensive. It's disgusting. And, and, and it's nothing new. Like, it's nothing new, okay? Like, for millennia, we've been sexualizing children. And when we look back at other societies and go, you know, in the Middle Ages, they liked to cut uh, little boy's testicles off so that their voices stayed high and they could sing nice. And we look back at that and we go, that's monstrous, mm -hmm. okay? And, you know, you look at the, the you, you know, the Roman times and, and all of this where, Imagine you know, children that. have been used, you know, have been, there's been sexual predators of children forever. But somehow now it's leaking back and people aren't absolutely losing their minds because they're scared that someone's going to call them a name. Yeah. Really? I think it's monstrous what we're doing to, to kids with the puberty blockers. and Well, we didn't even open that can. And pretending that it's just putting things on pause to quote someone. When, when I would work up patients for infertility and we had the discussion of Lupron. Okay, which is one of the drugs that's used as a, a puberty blocker. I would tell the patient, I would say this. This drug is the atomic bomb to yeah, the female yeah. endocrine system. Because we are going to shut every single, we're going to shut every hormone off. And then we're going to kind of hope that we control alt delete the system and then it comes back and it comes back normally. Then we're going to add some other drugs and we're going to see what happens. And if that doesn't work, you go to the fertility clinic, but like we'd start people on it and we'd, we'd be like, you're going through, like, I know oh, you're 25, oh, but awful. you're going through menopause. Any woman 
because that's what Lupron it's does. Being on Lupron will tell you how horrible they feel, what it does to like, them, and then the long-term side effects are not benign. And we're going to give it to a 13-year-old because they're wondering, you know, because they play with trucks too much. Yeah, well, like, I, like, I like that quote from, uh, who was it, that comedian that said? Oh, the, the Bill Maher quote Bill that Maher says, quote. Uh, uh, this is a rough paraphrase, I don't have it right with me, but it, it, he said, uh, if we're going to let eight-year-olds decide what they're going to be, then we would have lots of princesses. He said, and, I would have and been lots missing of an cowboys. eye and a no, leg no, no. because I would have been a pirate. And lots of cowboys. Because when I was eight, I wanted to be a pirate, and I'm really glad no one sent me for eye removal and peg leg surgery. Exactly. Yeah. Well, all I have to say is um, we mentioned the documentary on – is it on Rumble, Tim? The Matt Walsh's – No, no, no. It's on The Daily Wire. The Daily Wire. Is yeah, you're any not way? watching anything produced by Ben Shapiro without paying for it. <laughs> well, that is a – I don't know. Get a group of friends together, somebody that has it, and it's worth paying the subscription just to watch that. What is a woman? It's amazing. Um, it's You don't know whether to laugh continuously or cry for how uh, insane some of these people are. Uh, Dr. Grossman is in that, and it's amazing. And um, Yeah, you know, just to end this up, I, I want to try to – we have to be really careful. Because we got to fight for children and for our society, but we also have to be really careful that we fight the that that we fight the right the right people. Because I, I get nervous, you know. It's super easy when I see a kid come into the office with they all have like purple hair for whatever reason. That seems to be the thing, and they're they them and whatever and. And like I like I feel this anger rising in me, and the fact is, is that that's not appropriate because to be angry with that confused child is 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 wrong and it's unhelpful. And and in some respects, they're being used as human shields for these you know these unscientific political forces that are behind them. And so it's 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 important to to recognize what we're fighting. And I think the other thing to recognize is, is as Dr. Grossman said, there's going to be a high enough body count where people actually start to get pissed off and yeah. then it changes. And when that happens, we need to be a graceful landing spot for people and not be pointing our finger in their chest and yelling. It's like, why didn't you do something sooner? When the, when the response is, thank God you did something ever. And, and that, and that's, you know, great. We <laughs> grace, forgiveness, and still fighting like hell, but fighting the right people, I think, is really the, the bottom line because we should be encouraged because the science is on our side. And I think that that's, you know, that is a very, very powerful place to be. It's we 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 get so angry about this because we've had kids, we've taken care of kids, we've been kids ourselves, and we know the level of adolescent suffering. And that should not be used for political gain. That is just despicable horrific absolutely perfectly said love it so i will link all of her information in our show notes as well as the other websites where you can look for support uh, some recommended reading the matt walsh documentary and um if you like this episode share it with other like-minded um believers and thinkers so we can um just keep reaching people and helping um, with this 
important subject matter. And thanks again for being here. Send us your comments, questions, and any suggestions. See you guys next time. It's no secret that medicine is a bit um, uptight. That's why Tim and I created BS Free MD to mix things up a little and have fun in the process. Besides, we are having these exact same discussions all the time, so we thought we might as well invite everyone to the party. If you really like us, you can get plenty more and maybe see one of Tim's cool tattoos on our Instagram or Facebook pages at BS Free MD. See you next time. But we try to keep BS Free MD as raw and real as possible. We can't be held responsible for any medical decisions or discussions had as a result of what you've heard on the show. We know, bummer. But the truth is, we really do care about your questions. So feel free to reach out to us by email at doc at bsfreemd.com.